Um, David, uh, thank you for coming out today, man. I really appreciate you, uh, uh, you know, taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you're traveling around speaking at schools through your programs mm. and um, speaking to churches and doing yes. all kinds of things. When I heard you, I heard you speak at, um, I want to get right to it because you have such a rich story and knowledge. So I want to get right, right to the point. I mean, just jump into it quick. I don't want to get on these somatics. Normally in a, in my, in the podcast, we kind of talk like, Hey, what's up, man? And you know, how's it been? And, um, but I think that you have a very interesting and powerful life story about that's, that speaks redemption and, but not just, um, redemption, but you've been through things. And when you, a person goes through things, they, um, you know, you you got. I think you hit. A, I think you hit a crossroad. When anyone goes through things, you could take the low road or you could take the high road. You could take the path of destruction, and I'm not just talking physically. I'm talking spiritually, or you could take the other way. And sometimes it's confusing. And I think that the path of destruction is actually an easier road to take. It's mm-hmm. more enticing. Whether someone dives into alcohol, drugs, um, speak for myself, women, mm-hmm. or whatever, or you could say, Hey, do you know what? I want to become the type of person that I want to see in the world or what's that saying? Uh, become the change yeah. you want to see. So, um, can you please just, I mean, let's start at the beginning or wherever you feel comfortable. Can you share your story? And cause I heard you speak and the way you spoke, <laughs> I got to point this out. This is what, this is, this is what brought, uh, David Anthony Johnson here is that why I invited him on the podcast because he shared, he spoke actually at church. I went to a church out here in Laguna, um, Laguna Hills, is it? Laguna Niguel SDA Church. Laguna Niguel SDA Church. Mm-hmm. And um, as you guys know, and you see on my social media, I hop around all kinds of churches. One day you'll see me at TD Jakes, mm-hmm. and the other time you see me here. I'm just on a I'm on a spiritual journey myself. Amen. But I heard I heard you speak, and it resonated with me in so many levels. Like you didn't just get up there and do the whole, you know what's so amazing about Jesus? He died for us. Think about that. You know, there's these stereotypical cliches, but when you spoke, there was a realness to it. And you even talked about your life being threatened and being in distant situations where you could have lost your life, lost your uh, career and just in other things, you know, and the way you, the way you were talking, I was like, he's been through some stuff. Mm -hmm. He knows. And so I just, I think your story is worth getting out to the world. And so, can you please just um, and and I'm and I'm gonna apologize in advance if, if while you're talking, I might interject questions because yeah. I you know. But uh, can you just start at the beginning or wherever you yes. the beginning is and just just share with share with us uh, your story? Yes, it, it is indeed a pleasure to be on your show. I'm humbled to be here, and it's it was great to have met you at the church. And I believe that the Most High did not allow this to happen by accident, but by divine appointment for bringing us together at a time such as this. Uh, I am a fourth generation Seventh-day Adventist Christian, uh, born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri, uh, from a single mother. Uh, My father was a Vietnam veteran who saw action. Uh, When he got out of Vietnam, he met my mother, who was a third generation Adventist, connected to the church. My mother's mother, my grandmother, passed away when my mother was nine years old. And so that caused a lot of problems with my mother, emotional problems with my mother. Um, Issues and struggles that she had with relationships, as you could see, uh, as one would know, losing a mother, losing that nurturer. Uh, 
My grandfather was a stalwart in the church. Um, when my grandmother died, he remarried. Um, the, the, the lady was of a French background. She was a, a, a black woman from Martinique, but uh, from France, Martinique, France. And uh, the, because of the culture and whatnot, she did, her and my mother did not get along. My mother wanted my, you know, she lost her mother. So it ended up happening where my gr grandfather put my mother out when she was a teenager. So she had to go, she went to go live with my great grandmother, her grandmother. She was more of the matriarch of our family, the one in which people who know me, Dave, how did you know the Martin Luther King speeches? It was this woman. This woman was basically the star in my life, was my great grandmother. She was the daughter of a Tennessee slave. Uh, I get emotional sometimes because there's so much in my genesis, if you will. Um, she, my father and my mother met when um, my father would visit my mother at church when my mother and her girlfriend was stealing away from the guys at the church to go through the back door of the church to the alley to find my mother's best friend's boyfriend, which soon became my uncle and his brother, who's fresh from military service. So this was around 66, 1966. They were together. So in 1968, my mother gets pregnant, and uh, she tells my father that uh, she's pregnant, and so he says, well, I guess we got to get married. So when he said it like that, my mother thought, well, you don't love me. He was just fresh from being divorced from his first wife, which is my oldest sister's mother, so my mother decided that she didn't want to be with a man who didn't love her. So he left. So she, a few months later, of course, I'm born, and uh, she she raises me. He knows I'm there. His first interaction with me when his brother gets killed, the same one that introduced her, uh, he gets killed. Uh, someone kills him because he's living that life. Uh, he was going to see me the. The day he got killed, he was out of the hospital from being stabbed seven times. Um, he went, uh, he said, I'm going to go see my nephew. And uh, that morning he walked his dog. Somebody hit him with the car, drug him for, for, for about a mile, killed him. So the funeral service, I'm a couple weeks old. Uh, my father meets me for the first time, buys me Pampers. Uh, that was when they came home from the funeral, I was laying on his brother's stomach, his oldest brother, who just passed away two weeks ago. And uh, that was the only time my father and I saw each other until I was seven years old. So at seven years old, my sister, who has a different father, but she's my sister, her, me, and my mother were coming from my cousin's home. It was late at night. Uh, I can remember the uh, ice cream man. If the bomb pop man didn't get you in the daytime, in the evening, in the uh, afternoon, the snow cone man would get you at night. So they're going to they gonna get your money. So he had, was just coming on the street. It was around 9 o'clock at night, I, I guess it was. We're getting out of the car. My sister and I are sleepy because my, we just left my cousin's home, my, my aunt and my cousin's home. And as my mother walks up the steps, I can see it very clearly. In my mind's eye, my sister's walking behind. I'm about, I'm seven, and my sister's about four. And we're going up the steps, 
1976, 75, somewhere around there. And I could see it very clearly. We open up the gate. And as we're walking up, I look and I see a man that seemed to be black, a little bit of Asian. His eyes were very slant, freckles on his face, afro, uh, lighter complexion, a lighter brown complexion, sideburns, 70s-style sideburns that I donned when I was a correction officer. You know how the jeans are funny thing. And he had a, uh, a jacket on. And it was in the summertime, though. And I can remember him saying, Marilyn, Marilyn, to my mother. But being musical, there's a, a cadence, a musical intonation that, that, that when he spoke, it hit something deep down within me. I had not seen him before, except for I was a baby, but you don't remember that. But there was something in his voice that connected with that musical part of me. I knew he was my father. Merlin, Merlin. So I turned around and I looked at him. And when I looked at him, it was like looking at myself. And I looked and, and I saw he, he had this, you know, this, this, this different look uh, that the Warrens are known to have, you know. And, and, uh, and I said, excuse me, sir. And he looked at me. Yes, little fella. I said, are you my father? I had never said that to any man before. My mother said, David, get up the steps. And I looked at him. He says, yes, I am your father. And I can remember fights. I was always fighting in school, was very good at it, loved to beat up the bullies. And that's a whole other story while I even do anti-bullying in school. <laughs> but I used to have to fight a lot, the bigger kids, and I fought bigger kids. And they used to make fun of me. You ain't got no daddy. But in the in the urban neighborhoods, most of us didn't have daddies. They said, neither is you. <laughs> yeah, neither is <laughs> you. But it bothered me that, you know, those guys on my street, many of them had fathers, and I didn't know what a father did. And um, I used to say to my friend across the street, Kevin, who had a father, and they would go fishing because we had a, a lake not far from where we lived. In the hood. In the hood, there was an inner city lake. And I would see them go fish together, see them work on the car together. Me and my other friends from the street who did not have dads, we'd say, so is that what a dad does? We didn't know. And so now I have one. And I tore through the steps, jumped down the steps, opened that gate and ran to his arms. And um, he picked me up. And I just looked at his face, looked at his little slant eyes that kids used to make fun of me at, you know, used to say, Dave got them slant eyes. So now I knew where it came from. My mother used to tell me that in Vietnam, they used to tell him, Jim, you better not get too close to the line with the Viet Cong because we might think you were one of them and shoot you. Yeah. So all those stories, now I'm able to put it together. And so I, I kept touching his face and he looked at me. He said, I'm gonna call you little Jim. I said, no, my name is David. He said, can I call you little Jim? Call me David. And he says, well, you, you got a firm mind, don't you? He says, man, you look just like I did when I was this age. My mom, before our house burned down, my mom had all the pictures. Merlin, this boy looks just like me. And she says, and where, what does that get him? So my sister runs over to him. Is that my father too? He says, I can be your dad. And she says, no, Cheryl, that's not your father. He says, oh, she's so cute, which she was. 
He picks her up. So he picks up the both of us. And he says, is this your little sister? I said, that's my sister, and I protect her from everybody. And he puts us down, and he tells me, son, tomorrow I'm going to take you to Ponderosa's restaurant. And that was a very popular steak restaurant. Even though we were at Venice and we grew up vegetarian, my mother allowed me, gave me the green light to eat steak that day mm-hmm. because I'm eating it with my father. And I said, and I just, I was such a dramatic kid. And I, Mama, did you hear that? She says, Jimmy, don't tell my son stuff. He said, our son. Jimmy, don't tell my son stuff that you're not willing to do. No, no, no. I said, Dad, you're going to take me? Dad. And I called him Dad right off because I had been waiting to call somebody Dad. Yeah. I'd seen too many of my friends say Dad, Dad. And I said, one day I hope that somebody will love me enough to be my dad. Now this is the one who I came from. And so he promised he took out a silver dollar, tossed it up in the air, and I caught it. He gave me one and my sister one. He says, I'm going to pick you up from school. I'll pick you up at 4 o'clock. You be ready. He had a long El Dorado, and it was golden-colored El Dorado with a T-top, I remember. 75, 76, somewhere around there. And I just watched him. And I said, can I walk you to the car? He says, come on, because he went upstairs, and he was just looking at my mother and talked about how pretty she was. And I just looked at him, and I couldn't stop staring at him. I finally, it was like you open up a present and you finally got, you know, the the Shogun Warriors that I used to have, you know, or the G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip. You know, I had one. Now I have a father. I didn't know what to do. I just stared at him. Wow. And then I just wanted to sit on his lap and just touch his face because if he left, I don't know if I'd see him again. So I didn't want him to leave. So I remember um, my eyes got water and I started to cry. And he says, son, I'm going to see you tomorrow. I said, okay, dad. He says, so don't get in trouble. Your mother tells me you fight a lot at school. I said, yeah, but I fight the bad guys. He said, don't fight tomorrow. Be good. Clean up. I'm taking you to Ponderosa's. Oh, man, I was fit to be tied. I walked him to the car. When he drove off, as I always did, I would run because I watched a lot of Six Million Dollar Man. So I pretend <laughs> like I was running. <laughs> and then he watched me all the way till we got to the stop sign of Lexington and Fair. And when he drove off, I was so happy I cried. I didn't know, seven years old, why am I crying? I didn't know how emotional crying. I just knew crying if one of the big kids, five years old than me, hit me in the stomach real hard when we were boxing with the boxing gloves and I didn't want him to see me cry and I'd go over to the side. <laughs> then I'd dry my eyes. I knew that kind of crying. Yeah. But I didn't know this emotional type of crying. And I, I just couldn't stop crying. And my mother said, David, I don't want you to, to take in too much because your, your, your father says things, mama, no, no, no. So the next day at school, we would walk to school six blocks to the Adventist, Lexington Seventh-day Adventist School. I was, uh, I was in the second grade. And, um, yeah, I was in the second grade. And I can remember when we walked to school, there was a dog that would come maybe two, two blocks before I actually got to the school. And he used to, he was set out and he used to would chase us. And I, was, I felt so confident that when the dog came, I looked at the dog, and the dog, and the dog, it was as if the dog said, he owns something today, I'll get you tomorrow. But right now, you own something, because I, I just felt so empowered, because I belonged to somebody. I had a father. And the security that it gave me, 
I came from somebody. With my cousin Brian, it was my Uncle Bill that was sort of like a surrogate father slash uncle to me. He was married to my aunt. He, too, was a Vietnam veteran. And, and this is actually the war had just been over, just been over. So you had a lot of Vietnam veterans coming out of the war, you know, trying to acclimate, especially black men, trying to acclimate to the U.S. life. And, and, you know, that was very unpopular war. So they didn't, they didn't get a lot of respect and honor. If you were white, if you were black, you got less. Yeah. So they're trying, and they, and they had post-traumatic stress. They, had, they were dealing with all those problems. That's why, they, you know, my Uncle Bill and my aunt had a lot of issues and struggles, just like a lot of folk. But this man with anger issues because of his uh, um, father beating his mother when he was little, then he goes and has a— he has he gets into it with his uh, uh, sergeant in uh, um, and he, him and his white sergeant fought over racial issues in Vietnam. They had a lot of anger. The black men had a lot of anger, and you, you you're still talking right at the end of the civil rights movement. So there's a lot going on with where black men were dealing with a lot of anger. Racism is still in the air. Now you're coming from an unjust war that they you were second class citizen, but you were first class in terms of going over there and being drafted. So you come back with nothing. So my uncle helped to raise me. So when he would get mad, you know, he tells us get the gloves on. He hit us real hard. I mean, so he got us prepared for phys- physicality. And uh, I just saw how still Brian, my cousin Brian, my cousin Paul, even though that was Paul's stepfather, but my cousin Brian, that was his father, they had dads. I didn't. Now I got mine. So when school was out, people was trying to, the older kids, because I didn't, I was never bullied, never messed with nobody younger. It was always the older kids, two, three, four, five, you know, that I would try to, you know, make sure to beat up those bullies who would be beating up the girls. And they would say, you ain't got no damn daddy. I said, I do have a father. Come on. And they would say, come on. we gonna. And I said, no, no, not today. Not today. Today, I'm going to see my father. Tomorrow, <laughs> I got you. And they said, you ain't got. So I ran home from school. Dog didn't even worry about chasing me because I was on something. Got to school, got home, did something I never did. Went up and took a bath in the middle of the day. <laughs> got out. Put on my, my 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 basketball socks, my tube socks, and then my black church shoes, looking like Michael Jackson on, <laughs> on a beat it on a beat it video, and and had my high water jeans on, put on a nice shirt, had a nerve to get my uncle's brute that was on his dresser, put it in and did it just like he did, put it behind the ears, put you know put it on put it on spot, put on like as he called it some smell good. He never called it brute, he called it some smell, smell good. good. They put some smell good on. So I got it. I'm ready to roll. I sit on the porch and I'm waiting. Old lady over, oh, that was the gossip. We call her the big bird, Aunt Bertha. She's sitting on the uh, 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 on the porch across the street. Everybody's looking at me like, what has gotten into David? He's usually running up and down the street, fighting and doing rough things. He's sitting down, acting nice. And I was just waiting. So the kids would come roller skating. We roller skated then until the, the street lights came on. So they're roller skating. What you doing, the older kids? I said, I'm waiting for my daddy. You ain't got no damn daddy. I, tomorrow. Say that to me tomorrow. But today, I'm a peaceful man. I'm a peaceful man. You ain't no man either. You a little boy. I said, whatever it is, I'm peaceful today. I just waited. 
looking down the street, waiting for that long golden Eldorado to turn on from, from Clay and make that left turn onto Lexington. And I waited. Three o'clock came, and I knew four o'clock would be here, and I just was nervous. I, I saw the leather seats, and I thought, I'll sit right up there in the front. Maybe he'll let me sit in the front. And I was waiting and waiting. And my mother said, Dave, you want to come inside and eat? No, I'm going to Ponderosa's restaurant. And as we continued, 3.30 came, kids would come. My father wasn't there yet. 4 o'clock came, my father wasn't there. 4.10, 4.15, my great-grandmother said, Dave, come on in the house. And I said, no, 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 mama, no, no, no. He said he would come, all the people on the street, even the big kids who would make fun, they saw this was even sad. They just, little man, you all right? It changed from, you ain't got no to, because they could feel it. They knew this kind of pain. And that was something because it was an unspoken language that inner city black youth had. They knew, we know what it's like to not have a father. He's, he was teased. He was tempted. He was, he was given, you know, the, the, the proverbial carrot and then pulled away. It had been better he had never given, been given the carrot at all. And I sit there and waited and waited. And every minute that passed, my confidence fell. My father never showed up. It was 5 o'clock, and I pleaded with them to keep me there till 5 o'clock to finally my mother, my sister, my great-grandmother, the lady at the street. It's all right, little man. God loves you, and God will always be your father. My friend Kevin across the street who had his dad, Dave, it's all right. My father said, if you want to go fishing with us tomorrow. My other friends who had no dad, Dave, it's okay, man. My father ain't in my life. They all tried to make me feel better. I was crushed because it had been better had my father never showed up. But to show up and then to not show up, he left me on that porch. Seven years later, I graduate from, you know, eighth grade, and I wanted to go to Broadview Academy in Chicago. But my mother couldn't afford the uh, tuition to stay in the dormitories. She said, you need to contact your father. He's very wealthy. He, he's connected to construction companies. And uh, he lives in University City, which is a very uh, wealthy, which is, you know, well-to-do city, you know, in those days, and it still is now. And not too many black folk lived in University City. And he had a home there. And here we were renting in an apartment, you know, in a, in a duplex in the, in the inner, inner city. And so there was no Internet. There was no uh, social media. So in order to get a hold of people, you had to go to the old white pages. And my mother said, uh, you need to get a hold of my best friend, Larita, who introduced me to his brother, my former best friend. I said, well, how do I? So she lent to her phone book. So I'm going way back. She got out her phone book in her purse. This is Larita. You call her Aunt Larita because she's your aunt. And uh, you, you, she, 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 her daughter is your first cousin, so she's your aunt. So I said, okay. So I called her. I said, Aunt Larita, who was a seamstress, she's still alive. Um, and her daughter, who's six months older than I, she's uh, she just passed away. And um, I called her and I said, Aunt Larita, this is David. She says, I know who you are. You Jimmy's son. And she says, uh, I said, I'm trying to find him. And she says, okay, well, if you do, just understand he's a, he's a um, sort of a, a scoffer, 
garless. Um, he's a he's a, he's a angry type of guy. So, and uh, I don't want you to get your feelings hurt. I said no. I he left me on the porch seven years ago, but I, I at least just want to get get to know him if he wants to know me and ask him why. She says, "All right, well, here's the number, but don't say that I gave it to you." So I I remember calling. And uh, when he picked up the phone, it, the voice, again, it resonated. That musical part of me, it resonated, connected. And I knew that's my father. Hello? And I knew I wasn't going to call him Jimmy because I, I just was not raised that way. And I just, who I am, he's my father. And I said, uh, Dad, who is this? said, this is your son, David. Do you remember me? He was quiet. Of course I remember you, David. I said, I want to see you. When do you want to see me? So we set up the meeting to be at his mother's house. Incidentally, his mother lived six blocks from where I grew up. Wow. The, the public school that I went to before second grade when I went to the Adventist school, Farragut Public School, which was three blocks from my house. His mother lived three blocks from that school, six blocks from my house. They knew where I was. <laughs> so I um, went over there, knocked on the door. It was really tough. You know, you're knocking on the door of people that know you, but you don't know them. They know you exist. You didn't really know they existed. Opened the door, and it was as if they were black Japanese, you know, <laughs> just the look. I'm, I'm really a bunch of me's in here. I mean, come, come on, man. I'm telling you, we, you, you look like some of my family members. And I'm looking. No wonder, you know, I'm thinking of all the jokes people when we be joning on each other. You slam eyed, you, you know, all the jokes they used to say to me. Now I'm getting, I'm, I'm seeing it. And I'm, oh, wow. And they look at me, oh my gosh, mama, my aunt. She says, Mama, he looks just like Jimmy Lee. Oh, my gosh. And, I'm, you know, I never had that said, you know. And I walk in, and they all, as if I was a conquering hero. And my aunt come and hug me. And then I have uncles that just, I mean, looked, just that look, that black Asian type of look, you know. And they just come and look at eyes so slant, I didn't think they could see me, you know. And they coming over, what's up, man? One, you know, smelling like alcohol and, and they hug me. And then my grandmother. And when I see her, cute little lady from Louisiana, and I hug her and kiss her, and she says, oh, my gosh, she starts crying. You look just like your daddy, Jimmy Lee. And then I hug her, and she said, honey, Mo, Moses. Moses was her husband's name. And uh, Moses Warren. And... They, she said, Mose, Mose, come meet your grandson. And I couldn't stop crying. I just said, what is wrong with me? So the other day, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like the faucets were on and the floods were coming. There was a deluge about to start. You know, I said, what is wrong with me? Remember, emotional, sad, I had never dealt with, yeah, you know? It was an unfamiliar feeling. It's an unfamiliar feeling. And I couldn't control it. And I'm used to controlling my, you know, I'm, I'm a strong young man. And I'm, I couldn't control it. And he comes out. And there's this 
dark-skinned, slant-eyed, pudgy-nosed man that spoke as if he was British. <laughs> I couldn't make it up. <laughs> How are you doing, young man? Or Scottish. I see. How are you? And you look just like your dad. And, uh, and I thought, my gosh, he says, look at you. And then I come and grab him and I hug him. And he's from Mississippi. And she's from Louisiana. And I sit there, and then they get out all the albums. And then this little bitty girl who's seven years old, the same age as I was when I met my father. So I start putting the math together. And see, my, mother, my father was married at, 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 you know, when he say, saw me at seven. She's seven. So his wife, as we found out later, was pregnant with her when he came over to see his ex, if you know what I mean. Yes. He wasn't really coming to see me. He was just coming to see his ex. Okay? Mm -hmm. So she's seven. So I'm doing the math. And then I said, who are you? She jumps in my arms. Cutest little girl. Same phenotype. <laughs> you know, like all of them. And I look at her and it's like looking in the mirror, you know. And I grab her. And I, I and she, because she jumps in my arm, and then I say, "You are really cute. Look at those cheeks." I'm kissing her on her cheeks. You're my big brother, and I, huh? You're my sister. I'm your sister. You're my big brother. I got a brother, y'all. I got a brother, and I didn't know how to feel. I'm, and she's taking me by the hand, grabbing me, putting out these, uh, and they all bring these albums, and I'm watching my father in these military outfits, you know, from Vietnam, and I said, you know, I'm still, and I'm just meeting everyone, they're coming from downstairs, cousins and everyone, oh, David is here, da David is here, some have even called me Jimmy Lee Jr., then all of a sudden the doorbell rings, and my little sister races to the door, and my grandmother says, honey, I think that's your father. How do you feel? And my hand started to shake. Because I had anger, I had anger and sadness and joy all woven together. I, I didn't know what to feel. I had never felt this way before. I couldn't control myself like I've always prided myself on. Angry that he left me. Angry that he didn't love me enough to, to father me. Sad. Because how do you leave your kid on the porch? Just don't come at all, but don't do what you did. Then I, I, I wanted to see him. He's still my father. I still belong to somebody. So the, he knocked on the door. She comes. She said, Daddy, Daddy. And I couldn't see him because it was on the other side of the wall. And my heart is just as if it's getting ready to jump out of my chest. And I hear the walking. And she come, Daddy, Daddy, come on, meet my brother, meet my brother. And when he comes over, what was an afro seven years earlier is now a jerry curl. Mm. The eyes are still the same. Freckles, still the same. Slightly lighter than myself. Big arms like Popeye's. Big old arms. Big old arms. Very good shape. Looked like, you know, he could do knock some things down. You know, my mother used to tell me all these stories he used to do, you know. And 
He looks at me. He takes off his sunglasses. How you doing, young man? And I stand up, and you, you could hear a hush in the house. My grandfather, my grandmother, my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, my sister. They just looked at both of us. And they said, oh, my gosh, he looks just like his daddy. Jimmy Lee, that's your boy. That's your boy, Jimmy Lee. He says, I know, I know. And I didn't know what to do. Do I push him? Do I hug him? So I bowed my head, standing up at the table, and he's at the other end of the room. And as I just bowed my head and shook it, I, tears started to come. His mother said, hug him, Jimmy. Hug him. That is your boy. And he comes over. And as soon as he touched me, I grabbed him by the neck, and I broke down crying like a little baby. And he said, it's all right. It's all right. And um, my sister, what's wrong, brother? What's wrong? And I cried and cried. She could never know what that feels like. Even to this day, the issues that have happened, she could never know what that feels like. I cried because it was a cry of not being wanted, not Somebody that's there. See if they were never there, okay? But you know they're there. Their family lived six blocks from where you grew up. You were just not wanted. And that feeling was a feeling I had never, I knew it, but you could talk it out because you never knew, you never saw them. But now that you see them and know they live six blocks from you, know where you were. I asked my grandmother, how come you never picked me up? Jimmy Lee and the family was scared of my father. Jimmy Lee never told me not to get involved. I said, but I'm still your grandson. And I asked my grandfather, well, when Jimmy Lee came back from the war, he was different. He was different. He was more surly, more angry, which typified most of the black men that came back, men in general but black men because of the racial element. Yeah, my dad was like that. Yeah. Was he a Vietnam veteran? Yeah. Yeah, three tours. Okay. Three years. See, we can speak the same language. They're, they got something that we will never know. Yeah. And as I found out a few months later when I was staying at his house, I tried to wake him up. Uh, his friend called. He said, you little Jim? I said, yeah. Yeah, your dad told me about you. Put your dad on the phone. I'm, I'm his, his, one of his uh, 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 military brothers. So my father's laying on his back, and uh, I see his hairy chest. He's laying on his back. And I said, Dad, Dad, Dad. And he's still asleep. Dad, I touched his chest, and he did one of them MMA moves I know you do. Tossed me, tossed me over from one side of the bed to the other, mm-hmm. to the floor. Mm-hmm. And... <gasps> and just just did some move, some some move. <gasps> and then I said, and I started crying. 14. Like, Dad, Dad, what's wrong? He said, son, don't, don't ever t- grab me like that when I'm sleeping. I had a flashback. And I thought, oh. To sum it up, my father and I had a tumultuous. Wait, real quick, can, can I just say something sure. to share with you? I don't sure. sorry to interrupt your story. Sure, not at all. 
my dad, just two things about my dad. My dad, um, you know, my dad left the house, you know, when I was a kid too, mm-hmm. right? But going on regarding Vietnam, my dad would sometimes wake up at night and like my mom would roll over, maybe kind of touch him and he would grab her throat and start stabbing her, but he doesn't have a knife. Right. And mm-hmm. he's stabbing her mm-hmm. and my mom would start screaming. Mm-hmm. He, he would have these crazy, uh, yeah. crazy flashbacks. Yeah. And, um, I remember growing up like that because back then they called it shell shock. I think yeah. they didn't yeah. even know what PTSD yeah. was. Yeah. And my dad had all these weird quirks about him. Mm-hmm. But on top of that, um, Vietnam, I, I did some research on it years ago because um, my sister's like my best friend and we talk about stuff you know, mm-hmm. that's going on you know, in our lives we, when we evaluate. And I'm a very curious person by nature. So I looked into Vietnam and, you know, at the time, and I don't know if the numbers changed much, but African-Americans make up, what, 10% of the population, 8%, mm-hmm. but were 30% of what was drafted. And was that 30% was the majority of the front line. And yeah, and I just, I found that weird because even my, my dad had one time, my dad would never talk about Vietnam. He only mm-hmm. talked about it once. Mm-hmm. No, maybe twice in my life. Mm-hmm. Scratch that. Three times. He talked about it once where that, just openly one day he just said like he didn't understand why they sent him back because you're only supposed to do one tour he was in a helicopter that was shot down Mm -hmm. and um near the end of his tour (laughs) and he went that's how he met my mother he went to the philippines he first got medical treatment then went to the philippines for what they call r and r rest and relaxation they sent him back for another tour Mm. so he did two tour a second tour and then after the end of the second tour they sent him back again like he didn't even get a chance like a little break and went back and, you know, that's why my mother thought, this dude, he's not coming back to get me. Because my dad always said, I'm going to come back and wait for me. I'll be back in one year. He was already gone two years, you know, because he had to do another tour. That was one time he talked about. The other time is I was, um, I grew up in Naples, Italy mm-hmm. as a kid before I moved to the United States, you know. And uh, I, I remember my dad, this man came over. And at the time, you know, when you were a kid, I mean, I'm a small person. I'm like five, six. Um, I like to say petite. <laughs> yeah and my dad isn't big i mean my, i didn't get as tall as my dad though i took a lot of the filipino genes i think my dad's like five eight maybe five, five eight. nine okay my dad's like that five, yeah eight. Mm-hmm. and but me i'm just you know filipino side my mom's four ten four eleven okay. so, so you, yeah yeah yep. and um i remember this this black man came into the our our home there at the time we had just moved because we because back then the american dollar we could go far of course so we were initially as a military family my dad was a gunnery sergeant mm. at the time. We lived on a lake with a big two-story house with a little beach on the side on military income. Like you could live like that. Wow. But then there was an area like, hey, we're all, there's only a few military families that live there. We used to swim. It's called Parco Lago Iloca. If anyone mm. lives in Naples, Italy, or is familiar, or Napoli, as the locals call it, we moved from there to a place called Pinatamari, which is means like the place of the pine trees. Mm. And so Pace of the Pine Tree, we lived right on the beach. And we had like a nice big condo. It was pretty sick. But we're living in the condo. This big black guy comes in. And I remember my dad started crying. I only see my dad cry like uh, maybe just like, I can't even count on one hand how many times he's cried. Mm-hmm. So I just got my dad cry and gave him a hug. This guy was the biggest, not just the biggest black man I'd ever seen. He's the biggest human up to that mm-hmm. point I'd ever seen. And my dad was explaining to me what he was. This guy's a frogman. I go, what's a frog man? Mm-hmm. He goes, that's the special forces. And he's rare because he's a black special forces. Mm-hmm. 
you know, in the Marine Corps. And he's like, yeah, this guy scuba dives, he skydives, you know, he's like SEAL teams, he's like a SEAL, but the Marine Corps and the Marines, they're called uh, recon rangers or frog. Well, Navy SEALs and Marines both call their special forces frogmen. Frogmen. That's like a slang. Mm-hmm. But their official name is Navy SEAL uh, Force Recon. It's since changed to Recon Raiders, but mm-hmm. it's called Force Recon. He was Force Recon. Mm-hmm. And he goes, you know what? Remember I told you? Because my dad had to get knee surgery because of the helicopter accident. There was a metal in his leg because mm-hmm. the helicopter got shot down. Mm-hmm. And he eventually had to get some metal removed from his leg. Years later, as I was older, I, I, I don't remember Vietnam, but it worked its way up and he had to get the surgery. He goes, this man saved my life. And we sat down there and I was like, oh, and he's so, so I gave the guy a hug and uh, the guy sat down there and told a story. My dad and they were reminiscing on the helicopter accident. And they were saying that it was a high altitude um, flight. So they have they had uh, strapped in and they had oxygen masks mm-hmm. in a helicopter because it was so high. And they're going real high, and somehow somebody shot them down. And he said it was spinning. So it was, it was. I just remember them saying it was spinning, and it hit the ground. But as it's spinning, it's spinning so fast, your equilibrium, everything's yeah. thrown off. You know. Mm-hmm. He said they hit. He hit the thing. Parts of it exploded, caught on fire. My dad had threw up into his oxygen mask, and couldn't get out. He was so dizzy, he couldn't unstrap himself. This guy ran back into the helicopter, cut him out. Threw him over his shoulder because my dad's small compared to this dude. Oh, threw him over like a sack of potatoes and, and got out. And I was like, oh, he goes, you tell him thank you. You know, and I was without like, that I was, dude doing it, you wouldn't I'm be here. here. I was like, thank you. Thank you for saving my dad's life. He's like, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, you know, black, you know, black men back then talk different. Yeah, young blood. You know, like, <laughs> I, I remember. Yeah, well. yeah, they talked. Yeah, young <laughs> blood, blah, 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 yeah. blah. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, like, oh, yeah, yeah, this and that. But, I didn't understand the magnitude of the bond. I could see that my dad got emotional. Just cry a little bit. Yeah. It wasn't, it was within the same year. Bay, you might remember this. There was a Marine Corps barracks that was bombed in Beirut, Lebanon in the 80s. Mm-hmm. He was in there in that building, mm. and a, a truck full of explosives went mm-hmm. through there, blew the building up, mm-hmm. killed the guy that saved my dad's life that I just met. Really? And my dad, that's when I first time I've ever seen my dad weep. He was like, oh, and just devastated and my dad was calling his contacts what happened where was he what happened because what the way the way it was a they call it a barracks but there's Mm -hmm. actually a medical unit Mm -hmm. on the first floor and on the under the lower level like the basement so they blew the hospital out of the dang place and the first floor and he happened to be um working on his car like you know you get these little beaters when you're out of the country he was working on his car as this guy drove in he was near the front of the building it just blew it blew it unidentifiable just blew him apart blew you know a damage to him and um it kind of i was young but it still resonated with me because i saw my dad break down like real hard and he struggled you know i think it probably brought back vietnam flashbacks and um my you know my dad was uh real devastated from the from the um his friend passing away in beirut And and the weird thing about i felt connected to it because I've met this man and the profoundness of what he meant of to my dad, to my family, to all of us, you know, looking at my sister, you wouldn't be here either. Like, you know, we're just looking at each other and, um, she's older. She's older. She's okay. three years older. Okay. And I remember, um, we go to a base called NSA. My dad was stationed there and wherever you have a Marine Corps, ba- I mean, a Navy base, there's Marines there always. Mm-hmm. Those two are together. You have a ship out in the ocean. Marines are on those ships. They're actually the the fighting like uh, traditionally, they're the ones when the the Navy had 
ships, the Marines would be the ones if the ships rammed somebody, they're the ones jumping across, sword fighting, you know, whatever. That's called leather necks. They used to wear leather on the neck, you know. Mm -hmm. And I remember we're at NSA and I would go there. My dad, they made us all go on base because I was in the military school. Mm -hmm. And at the military school, they started, um, you know how people, this is, let me explain something. I'm going to tie it into a few mm -hmm. things here. But when we'd go to school, our buses were private contracted out to the Italians. Mm -hmm. We didn't have yellow school buses. Okay. So they're, they're, they're getting contractors by private owners. Mm. And so our school buses, Benzes, leathered, TVs. I didn't even know, like, when I came here, I was like, what the hell is this? You know, like, they would, but they would jack the buses up. The, when they'd come in, our school had a wall around it. Mm -hmm. Jack the bus up, checking under it for bombs. Of course. This is after the Beirut, Lebanon. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing because after 9-11, people complained about taking their shoes off. Mm -hmm. I felt safe in Beirut when they were, I mean, in, in Italy when they were checking everything. Mm -hmm. And they got to the point where we'd spend a lot of our time on the military base. Mm -hmm. And I remember there's a naval, because uh, we're on a naval base, mm -hmm. there's a uh, naval hospital. The helicopters were just coming in, bringing in the wounded. You know, they're maybe from Beirut, maybe flying them to Germany or fly they just distribute them out to different locations. Mm -hmm. So the helicopter, the, the hospital is more busy than usual. It's like Loma Linda in the summertime. You're, so I've seen my, my ex-wife is a, as emergency room physician. And I remember Loma Linda, man, in the, sometimes in the summer, it'd be so busy because people get bit by snakes, right. car accidents. Yeah. There was helicopters landing on the lawn in the front. That's right. Yeah. Rolling and rolling. That's right. Yeah. They're just, mm -hmm. you know, just trying to save lives. And, um, but going back to all that stood out. And I remember the Marines on the base, just getting amped like let's do something about this like you know they're talking they're yelling and getting worked up um and i remember the they sent out and this actually led to a lot of stuff i was very in tune with the world because i lived in it my dad talked about it openly around us this stuff when it got like this part of history the uss new jersey i don't know if you remember this went off the coast of uh, of lebanon and just unloaded. You could look it up online. There's footage of it. It aimed all its guns and all of them. Bah, bah, bah. I mean, it, it was fully auto. Boom, boom, boom. The ship was leaning. Mm. It's letting off into, into that area just to, to, I don't know what the name of the terrorist organization. But years after that, you would see, especially on CNN, when CNN was the only 24-hour news source, mm -hmm. when the terrorists would hijack planes and they would negotiate. They're like, because you, what you did in the USS New Jersey. Where, and they remember they killed that mm, American citizen that was a Navy right. guy. Mm, it's all mm. tied to that time. Okay. And I knew as a kid because I was uh, I was aware. Okay. And then fast forward, you know, when I was, my, my father, as I grew up and went through junior high and high school, especially high school, mm -hmm. I used to tell people I didn't have a father because my dad abandoned us, me and my sister. Mm, I'm sorry. And, um, my sister, uh, I used to tell people I don't have a dad because I had the same problem that you mm -hmm. had, you know, and it hurts. I, when you're saying it resonated with me, okay. it hurts. Mm -hmm. It hurts because it's unreciprocated love. Of course. You know, and what makes the anger is that the anger comes from hurt. Yeah, of course. I wanted, why didn't you love me? What was right. defective in me? Right. What made me less mm -hmm. than like, say, the, the uh, anyone else? Right. And um, my, when I finally spoke to my dad, my sister went out to the East Coast. I don't know if I told you this. Mm -mm. Outside, my sister went out to the East Coast and tried to make peace with my dad. My sister's a peacemaker. Mm -hmm. She said, "I'm gonna go out there and try to talk to him." Because my dad had gotten out. My dad actually graduated. I mean, retired out of the military. The highest you could get is an enlisted. Like it was an E9, E8, mm -hmm. E9. He was a um, master gunnery sergeant. Like okay. the highest you could get. Full, um, what's it called? Chevron mm -hmm. on his arm. Um, he was working in D.C. Got out. Was living there. So my sister said, "I'm gonna go there." My sister enrolled in Virginia Tech. Cause she's an engineering, but she didn't Spoke need there. 
Oh, you spoke to her? Yeah, she didn't need any um, classes. She just wanted to make peace with my dad. And she oh, went nice. out there, and my dad, and she's like, yeah, well, you know, Junior. My sister calls me Junior. My dad calls me Bonsut. So does my mom call me Bonsut, which means the youngest Okay. in, in my mom's language. Okay. And it means the youngest but the favorite. Okay. Right? Bonsut. So mm-hmm. And so um, my sister went over there and tried to make peace with them. And at the time, I had, I had just learned about God, and I was actually doing prison ministry. Going out talking to them. Actually, first time I met an eighteen year old with life, and I was eighteen. I was barely over eighteen. I was like, mm. "Bro, yeah. ooh mm-hmm. man, your life's just starting." And right. it was just, it was very uh, humbling. Yeah, it's a deterrent. <laughs> it's a deterrent. Oh, it better be. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, my dad was like, my sister was trying to make us make peace. She made try to make peace with him. And when my dad saw my sister step off the plane, my sister talk. My sister, we talk about this. What I'm about to tell you, at least. I would say once every six weeks, a few times a year, maybe once a month. Mm-hmm. She stepped off the plane and where the plane where she went, with the kind of plane she had, you know, and some airports are like this where you actually have to walk on the tarmac. Yeah. So she stepped off the plane, was walking on the tarmac. My dad saw her. It was so much guilt. He started holding his stomach and squirming and he started crying. And my sister said, hey, dad, you got to remember, he abandoned two kids. Mm-hmm. This girl raised me. I was three years younger. Mm-hmm. And... She's about to graduate as a civil engineer, and she raised the younger brother, the kid that you abandoned. And my um, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Mm-hmm. That's right. Take your time, brother. Take your time. Mm-hmm. Hold on a second. Mm-hmm. I mean, got to. Normally, I can talk about this. That's right. It's probably because you're here. <laughs> That's right. That's right. My 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 sister. Said my dad kept saying, "I'm sorry. I'm I'm so sorry." He said the guilt was so strong that he w- he couldn't sit still. Right. He went to the house. She said he was roll. He would sit on the couch. He couldn't sit still. The guilt was phys- causing a mm-hmm. physical manifestation mm-hmm. that he actually tried to sit on the floor in front of the couch, mm-hmm. and he would just roll on the like he was hurting. And he said, "I am so sorry." Couldn't look at him. He had so much shame. Mm-hmm. And my sister's like, "Don't worry about it. This and that." But it was weird because he had shame and he had anger. And I didn't understand this until like weeks later because what happened was my sister would get us on the phone on a three-way and try to make peace with us because at that point I hated my dad. Mm-hmm. And hate's a strong word, but I hated him because he didn't love me. Right. Or I felt mm-hmm. that he didn't love I didn't understand. I don't know what it was, but mm-hmm. I didn't get. I didn't feel love. I wasn't loved. I was left to the streets. Yeah. And my and my sister was like on the phone like, hey, um, uh, you know, uh, my sister calls me Junior. Hey, Junior. My sister's been my business partner on stuff. We went to business meetings with corporations. And she's like, hey, Junior, calling me. I said, Audrey, call me by my name, man. We're in a business meeting. Don't, don't be calling me Junior, dude. Yeah, right? like she, she talks to me like I'm her little, like I'm that little kid <laughs> still. Little but kid. she kind of yeah. looks at me like I'm her kid. Wow. You know? Wow. And so we, uh, my dad got on the phone. And he was like, you're weak. You're weak. And at this time, remember, I'm a, I'm a former uh, street criminal. I'm gonna be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Former street criminal did every kind of thing you could think of in the streets, mm-hmm. and I had a kid. Mm-hmm. And my my dad went on called me, called my son a bastard. You have a bastard child. Like he was projecting his onto uh, me. Yeah. Guilty with my sister, projecting onto yeah. me, and goes, "You are, um, you're weak. Mm-hmm. You're you're a you're a you're it's a counter transference. We call it in chaplaincy." He's seeing in you, but really, you are really him. So it's like him standing outside of himself. As he's talking to you, he's really talking to himself. 
or what was said about him. So it's a counter-transference. Oh, is that what that is? That's counter-transference. Where he is projecting on you what has been told to him or how he feels about himself. Oh, well, he went in on me. Well, he must feel bad. Because well, my I father later, does that. Oh, he does transference. Okay, yeah. I didn't understand. I was just mm-hmm. getting beat up. Yeah. And I told my sister, why do you call me with this mm-hmm. dude on the phone? She, she didn't know he was going to do that. Yeah. And he went in on me and he says, you're weak. You're a pussy. Yeah. Because, and he goes, and you, you're a, you believe in God? You're a guy. He goes, I got a problem with God. Yeah. And it, then he st- my dad started like raging. Yeah. Uh, God, he goes, that's why you're weak. Only the weak need God. Bunch. And and he said, he goes, uh, isn't it weird? We have a lot of correlation. My, my father used to say that. Yeah, and he why goes, want to be a pastor. Yeah. Maybe that, deep down, that's probably why I fight against it. He said, that's weak. Your mother and great grandmother raised you to be a pastor. Yeah, be you a man. Be an engineer. Yeah, yeah. be a man. Yeah. yeah, you're weak. And he goes, he goes, um, I got a question. He goes, if there's a God. Why did I see burning babies? Yeah. Why did I see children on fire? Because you know they use napalm? Of course, napalm. And he goes, if there's a God, like he was just raging. I, I, I couldn't reason with him. Mm-hmm. I could say, whoa, 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 whoa. He was just yelling at me and talking about, you have, you ever you ever see a, a, a dead baby, I mean a, a dead mother with the baby holding, she's hold, still holding her baby, the baby's alive? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and like he was just, ra- and he just cut, didn't cuss me out. I got off the phone. And I was like, look, but at this time, I was I was right with the Lord. I didn't backslide yet. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go. I said, Audrey, don't call, don't have this dude call me anymore. Don't call me anymore. I don't have a father. And that act literally that day, I, I got off the phone with him. I had to go to this prison and talk to other people. But you know, I I, I was in a good place spiritually mm-hmm. and mentally. A few days later, I get a phone call. You know, no, I'm. I'm I'm dating myself. We're from the same generation. I, you had to pay for caller ID. Of course. So we didn't pay for it. So phone call, it's a gamble. Right? Of course. <laughs> I pick it up. Who can it be? Yeah, who yeah. can it be? I pick it up, and it's just weeping on the other line. I said, hello. And this time, he started calling me Junior. Yeah. Junior, I'm sorry. Yes. I am so sorry. I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I hurt. I hurt so much. I am so sorry. He just kept saying he was sorry. And he goes, I'm in so much pain. Yeah. I'm in so much pain. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry for leaving you. It's the biggest mistake of my life. I'm sorry. I, I, There's nothing I could say to make it right. There's nothing I could do at this point. And I said, Dad, listen. And he, he went in and just broke down. And he was a broken man at this point, completely broke. And I told him, um, I forgive him. I said, Dad, I'd be a hypocrite to not forgive you because... I've done bad things myself. I've done things that are unspeakable to other people. And God has forgiven me for these things. And um, like I should be in jail. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And in hell (laughs) at the same time. Let's go to the next level, in the lower level. And I said, God has forgiven me and this and that. And he just kept crying to me. It was like his, almost like how someone cries at a funeral. And I said, um, you know, uh, but I'm at peace, Dad. We we, I'll come see you, and we can. Um, I'll, we'll see where it goes. Mm-hmm. You know, because I've seen other stories. You know, when you're when, when you do. Um, at the time, I wasn't a minister, but I did a lot of Bible work, which is ministry. Mm-hmm. I've seen situations that you think are going to go well, but they mm-hmm. don't. Right. So I keep that door open. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it's up to God. Mm-hmm. So I said, let's see where it goes. I don't want to get all hyped up and then go back and he flips on me. So I was like, let's see where it goes and this and that. And he goes, why Why are you so peaceful with 
about this. You're just so quick to forgive me after what I've done to you and what I said to you. And I said, because God forgave me. And I'm not just saying that God forgave me. He truly forgave me. Like the karma from those things don't follow me. I have peace and this and that. And he goes, I need peace. I can't sleep. I, I, the, he goes, I've killed people. Mm. And I could see their faces. And they haunt me when I close my eyes at night. He's talking about Vietnam. And that's why I'm sharing this with you. He goes, right. I could see them. Yeah. You know, um, I've killed a lot of, he goes, I killed a lot of people, Junior. And it they haunt me. I could, there's certain people's faces that I just, well, I'm seeing them die. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I said, Dad, what you need to do is you need to accept Jesus. And that's the first step. Mm -hmm. God will do the rest. Just uh, He goes, how do you do that? Mm -hmm. And so I did this, you know, uh, what's it called? They call it now the sinner's prayer or mm -hmm. the accept, I accept mm -hmm. Jesus, Lord and Savior. You know, I walked him through that on the phone mm -hmm. and we prayed and he cried again. We actually both cried. I'm not going to lie. We both mm -hmm. cried at this point. I said, Dad, things are going to change. I started calling him Dad. Dad, things are going to change in your life. Things are going to be good. I'm going to figure out a way. I'm going to come out there. I had connections. I could get out there. I'm going to come out there. And he said, okay. And he got off the phone. I went back to my um, girlfriend's house, who be I later became a wife. My wife, now ex-wife. I went to her house, and I told her what happened. And she goes, you okay? And I go, yeah, I'm okay. I, I, I could go see him. And she goes, okay. So I actually, when I flew to the prison... Uh, flew back. Her house was by the airport. So I would crash. You know, her family is very conservative. So I had to sleep in my own quarters. <laughs> Security measures are in place. <laughs> dog dog was in the living room. Just watch, keep an oh, eye on me. Man, it will, it go, you know, just like, in case. Yes, yeah, in case, mm -hmm. brother. Keep your hands to yourself. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and so <laughs> sleep in the living room. I, I get a phone call at her house from my mom. My mom never calls her house. And I said, yeah, mom. I mean, sorry, a phone call. Your mom is still is your mom is alive at this time. My mom's alive. She lives with me. She's disabled. Okay. Yeah. She lives. She, your mom is alive now. Yeah. She lives. I with didn't me. know that. Okay. Oh yeah. I'll tell you about my mom. Okay. But my my dad. I mean, sorry. I got a call from my mom and says, "Here's Audrey says call her." So I call my sister. This is like three in the morning. Mm -hmm. I call my sister. What's up? She goes, "Junior, um, dad died." I said, "What?" This is just days after, dad died. He had a heart attack, and my sister started crying. I didn't even cry. I didn't yet. I, she, shock. she goes, you okay? I didn't know how to feel. Right. This man's a, right. this man, we just made peace, but I don't even have memories. You know what I'm saying? Like the last memory were kids. I was a kid. And so I was like, okay, all right, well, are you okay? And she goes, yeah, I'm going to go down. My sister's hardcore. I'm going to go down. He wanted to be cremated. So I'm going to go down there and um, hit the lever and put him in. I said, you want to do that? She, and she did, actually. Um, she went down there and kissed him. And uh, my dad's sister flew out there. And, um, you know, you can have the option to do it. They'll, they'll let you do it. She did it. And um, and the way I know she did it, too, is because... Where, where were you guys? Where, where? I was in California. I was in Bakersfield. Okay. And she, she was in um, Virginia. And your dad was in Virginia. Yeah, he was in Virginia. And mm. um, then they had, like, a, a, a funeral a little memorial thing there, but they're going to have the main funeral out here. Mm -hmm. But my sister, she didn't tell this because she didn't want to hurt my mother's feelings. My mom was not going to hear this podcast. Mm -hmm. They had, because my dad was so decorated that they gave him full military honors. They, you know, like, you know, like, um, I mean, like full Arlington Cemetery honors. Mm -hmm. And, um, and plus he served 27 years. Wow. 
27 years he lifed it in there and so um when i came back just on a side note i went to i went to on vacation i went on a little honeymoon with my with my wife we had gotten married but i used my sister's camera she already had some photos you know the you know back in the day well i already got 12 pictures on here but there's like 13 left and then you change oh. the role so i went to i went and put it like at walmart or rite aid mm-hmm. and you know like you go through and i was like oh look at this this is it boom there's a picture of my sister there with my dad about to go into the crematorium i mean to the burner i was like my it made me so sick that's fast forward but i that's why i knew my sister did it i said my i don't know what's wrong with my sister dude my sister like she's the kind of person she i don't know she's made a steal and so she she's married and she has kids. She has married. She has uh, two kids now. Wow. She didn't get married till she was like in her forties. Wow. She was just. Was she fifty now? Yeah, she's fifty now. Okay. Fifty, mm-hmm. maybe. I don't know because if she hears this, fifty-ish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe fifty or okay. fifty-one. Okay. But going back, they flew back, man, and I remember um, um, we had a funeral there, and my my aunt wanted to do it in her church, and it's in the hood, and it's in the neighborhood where I used to run the streets so you know you got a lot of people who never there's no internet back then right they've never even seen a, a marine mm-hmm. right dude they brought out they gave them full military honors there you know have you ever been to a military funeral mm-hmm. they'll bring out like a veterans right or even a recording mm-hmm. no active duty everything they mm-hmm. brought the whole the marine corps sh- showed up and showed out mm-hmm. they showed up with the flags the guys with the staff they set up a thing and i remember when i walked in i didn't even cry to this point right I walked in and I saw a picture, like a memorial of my dad's ashes. With it was a picture of his uniform and it was a picture of me in a Marine uniform, you know, when I was younger in school. Right. And um, with him and the ten-year-old me, the kid, I felt like a kid crying. Mm-hmm. I wept for him. You know what I'm saying? And we had the funeral service. I was crying and crying. And they let us select a song to play in the church, but don't make it secular. <laughs> of course, <laughs> and so my sister's like, like we, you know, and we are we're not religious, right? You know, and well, I was new. You know, I mean, I'm I'm talking fresh new, right? So I couldn't even tell. Like I remember, you know, some Father Abraham. Mm-hmm. I remember going to church, helping out with the kids stuff. I didn't even know the songs, mm-hmm. and they were like, "You don't know this song?" I was like, "No, yeah. no, yeah. I don't know none of this stuff." So my sister's like asking her Christian friend, "Hey, what's, what's a good song?" You know, <laughs> I said, "You know what." I played the Marine Corps anthem for him because this is what I know what they want, and I, they better not say anything because this is not a secular song. Right. And they, these guys fought for freedom, right. so you have this church here. All right. And so they played that, and we went outside, and they had the seven gun, twenty one gun salute, mm-hmm. all the guns, mm. and you know, boom, boom. And, and I remember that was the only time in my life from when I, outside when I was a kid, I felt proud yeah. of my dad. Yeah. I said, "Do you want? I'm glad, even though we had, he's damaged, right. I'm damaged from it." I felt proud. The neighborhood came out when they saw these Marines. You know, you had black, Hispanic, white Marines. And they're like, you know, these dudes come out pants sagging and, you know, like, hey, cuz, what's going on? <laughs> right. It's in Bakersfield. It's in Baker- yeah, because you have a Bakersfield was like the Lancaster before, before Lancaster, where right. you had the people overflowing mm-hmm. or moving out of the hood. Right. So it's, and then they'll bring their man That's and their right. bad kids and they're the gears, the gangs there. <laughs> yeah. and, and so. Like but Reno the, Valley. Yeah, Reno Valley. Yes. <laughs> yes. After the, the L.A. riots. Dude. They all moved to I, When I taught Reno Valley, mm-hmm. I had a girl. You knew, so you know about. Reno. I had a girl. Her mom, her parents were cripping. Still cripping in Reno Valley. Her yeah. name, Cash Money. Uh, I am not making that up. Mm. Her name, I said, your parents named you Cash Money. She said, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
We're gonna need to talk. <laughs> oh, <laughs> she go. No, but not M O N E Y. Right. Cash Monet. Like cash mo- like slang oh, in a cash. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. but the cash is spelled C A S H. It was hype. C- She's gonna have a lot of couch time. Yeah, she yeah. I said, you know, you need a, you need a nickname. Oh, and man. And so, but mm-hmm. but going back. Oh, and one thing too. One of my other students, the her dad was the lead singer of Troop. Troop lead singer. She's still my friend on social media. She's a lead singer uh, of Troop. E- ego tripping. I said, uh, uh, I said, dude, I said, girl, listen. I'm not souped. Yeah. I said, I've said, tell your dad I've sinned so much to his music, girl. <laughs> all, all I do is think Day and night, that's all I do. All I do. I'm not souped. Yeah, man. Yeah, I said, what? That's a group you wonder, like, why weren't you not bigger? That's right. That's right. That's right. But, but going oh, back to the funeral to wrap up that story, I'm sorry to me get caught up in my story. Mm-hmm. That was wonderful, but, man. But when my dad, the thing that stood out with me, because I've never even, I've been to funerals, military funerals. Right. No, I've never been to a military funeral. I've seen them on TV. Um, they had a live bugler, young dude, active yeah. duty, playing taps. Duh, duh, duh. Mm-hmm. I didn't know this. Taps is go to sleep. Mm-hmm. It's the lullaby that mothers oh, sing to their kids. Oh. Go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Go. Wow. To, yeah, they just, wow. they just say. Yeah, they just say, it out call, a little bit. They just call it taps. Right. You know, yeah, but it's go to sleep. They're mm-hmm. singing because you're resting. Because you're resting. Yeah, wow, it's like, didn't know that. So we're like, duh, duh, duh. I'm telling you, the whole neighborhood was around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the whole neighborhood was around the church. I'm talking. People were looking yeah. and this and that. As he plays, duh, 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 you could hear about a half a mile away or a few blocks, another live bugler down the street, full uniform. Do, 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 to create the echo that you'd get in the valley. Of course. No, and I was wild. like, wow. whoa, man. And then that brought to a tear to my of eye. The guy gave my mother the rounds that they shot from the 21 gun right. salute and the flag. And my mom's hardcore. My mom, in that whole time, this whole scenario, she maybe cried for like two minutes and wiped. Because my mom has her story of abuse of course, in the Philippines. And she's like a shell of a person, you know, like when it comes to emotion. Right. And, um, but yeah, man, um, that was wow. that was like a very transitional. Like I didn't get a chance to hug my dad of course. and tell him, but I did one. And this was a concern that a lot of my family had because at the time I had other people in my family come to Jesus, you know, or become Christians. Right. And they were like, man, he was so lost. You know, my dad would cuss out God and cuss mm-hmm. them out and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I go, no, he accepted Jesus. Yeah. He, he go, when? I, and I told him the story. And I go, I'll see, we'll see him again, yeah. and I'll get to hug him That's in right. a new body. That's right. Mm-hmm. But That's right. he accepted Jesus in this mm-hmm. and that. I remember my aunt was like, thank God. Thank, thank you, Lord, because she was so worried. He was so destroyed from Vietnam, the type bring it all back. Yeah. And I really think that Vietnam played a role of course. in his decisions in life. Of course. You know, mm-hmm. and it, 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 a lot of men, they never left Vietnam. Of course. Even though they're walking around yeah. Vietnam, because um, I know that my dad was in one of those groups that came back as a as a group in uniform mm-hmm. for the at the um, and got spat on, mm-hmm. spit on by whatever. And then my dad had to because um, the first thing he did was go see his cousin and um, who I met, and she shared the story with my sister. There, then she was a college student, and he said, "Hey, pull over. Let me stop somewhere at a gas station, take my uniform off." He was greeted with shame because not only did he spit on. He was called the N-word. Yeah. And it was just, 
You just got you just had three years of PTSD of and murdering and whatever. And then now you got now you're now you you and and you you don't get a hero's welcome. You right. get the opposite. Right. Oh, and by the way, some of your veteran benefits you're yeah. not getting them. That happened too. Oh, so, and yeah, but. Let's continue with you. I apologize. No, I kind of got caught up that, in the moment. That, that goes with everything. And as we're speaking, that's a powerful story that needs to be in a book, and it needs to be heard. It needs to be heard, even for your healing. Yeah. And what you saw is what we've been trained, what we're being trained on as chaplains. That was when we write our case studies. That was countertransference. He was projecting onto you his pain, what he felt either of himself or what others have told him that he is. So he projected that on you. And um, it's it's we we study that counter transference. Counter transference. Yeah, look it up. I'm gonna I'm gonna study exactly that. what. He, yeah, so there's transference, or you transferring. Uh, say you are going to counseling, and you transfer some of your feelings on that of your counselor. That's transference. You know, you you looking at your your counselor is telling you things, and you uh, you're telling the counselor things, but you're feeling. Like the, the 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 issues or struggles that you're going through, you're projecting them onto your counselor is normal transference, but when the counselor then starts to look at the the the, the client or the patient, and they're they're putting their issues and struggles onto the patient, that's the counter transference, and that's. What Can I? You you just made a connection in my mm-hmm. mind just now, mm-hmm. and I I got to say this. Um, cause I know, uh, different people listen to this podcast mm-hmm. and I, I gotta say this, there is a, there was a woman in my life that I dated for six years after my divorce. Mm-hmm. She, she has a heart of gold, you know, but she's the kind of woman that whoever she's with, she becomes okay. so that it, like I'm in the, I'm in the martial arts. She became in the martial arts. Um, if I was a drug addict, God forbid, she might be influenced because she just she loves completely, and there's an innocence to her love, and she trusts you. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, I'll say I, I can't say her name. I don't want to put her on mm-hmm. blast, but there's a nickname I used to call her that she'll know, and it's Stimpy. Mm-hmm. That's a and I used to she didn't like it, but it's Stimpy. You ever see that cartoon Ren and Stimpy Ren back then? Yep. And that, that little dog would get mad and yep. say, Stimpy, you idiot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I used to call her Stimpy sometimes. She's a that's my way of cussing at her. Stimpy. Yeah. She's like, Don't you call me that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Um, but mm-hmm. Stimpy. Um I did that counter transference yeah. of my childhood abuse yeah. and the pain from mm-hmm. what I just shared with you yeah. in all these years, I I transferred it onto her. Yeah. Yeah. And I recognize it now, mm-hmm. and when you're saying, I didn't know how to word that, mm-hmm. and you the, you just introduced yeah. that to me, and I, yeah. I I really I actually contacted her when I um, went through this. Let's call it the fire, mm-hmm. and I was refined in the fire, which brought me in the inception of this podcast that created this whole thing. I actually wrote her and apologized to her, mm-hmm. a long letter of apology, mm-hmm. and um, I broke down. I was such a bad influence on her, and um, and. Now I understand what you're saying, the counter-transference, yeah. because and that's why I can't judge my dad. Right, right. I've seen violence, but mm-hmm. he's seen more violence than right. I've seen. And right. I can see the, and I've experienced violence, mm-hmm. physical upon myself, mm-hmm. and I've executed violence on people. Right. So, um, but I definitely counter, what, counter-transferred? Yeah, counter-transferred. I counter-transferred mm-hmm. it to her, and I treated her poorly, mm-hmm. you know, very bad. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and I feel bad about that. So if you're listening, Stimpy, 
again, I'm sorry. Like it's, yeah. and I wish I could make it right. I told her, I said, if, I wish if I could take a time machine, I wish that you would have never have met me, mm-hmm. at least not at that point. Mm-hmm. I told her that. She actually wrote me back and was like, thank you. Cause I wanted to give her closure and peace, Right. you know? Cause when you counter transfer like yeah. that until you look inward and do the work, that's it. That's it. you're standing on what you said to them and how you treat them. Nah, well, look what they did to me. Right. Or blah, 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 blah. That's you know, it. I'm not saying Stimpy was perfect. Obviously, right. no one's perfect. Right. But I knew better. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I...